welcome everybody to another episode of Ego Check with the IDM. Uh, my name again is Michael Mallon, and today I am joined by Allison Rossi, who is involved in many awesome things. In her professional life, she is doing executive search in the D.C. metro area. Any of her free time, she's involved in a lot of gaming uh, avenues, which is excellent, and I'm excited to talk to her about today. Uh, she's an avid player of, of D&D and is also involved in a amateur cow league, a competitive Overwatch league, um, doing some things with that organization. So really excited to dive into those topics and maybe a few other things, including uh, I think she has an interest in beer, so we might uh, discuss that a little bit. So, uh, Allison, welcome to the show. Hi there. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, excellent. So many things to discuss. Seems like you have your hands in a lot of different uh, areas that certainly touch on my interest. I guess one of the first things I wanted to check with you about, which you know you're active on social media and talking about D and D and your experiences there and bringing in new people to the game. What's that been like for you, getting involved in that? So I got involved in uh, role playing games back in college where one of my friends uh, in my fraternity, it was a co-ed fraternity, uh, asked me if you know I thought anyone would be interested in playing games. Uh, I said, I'm sure we could find some people for a game. So a couple weeks later, we ended up playing Gamma World, um, which is kind of like a post-apocalyptic, futuristic, crazy sci-fi uh, tabletop role-playing game. Uh, after I graduated from college, I realized that I really, really, really wanted to play D&D. So... Um, you know, I was, I was posting on Reddit and I was learning about Roll20 and all this stuff. I ended up finding a group through Reddit and I found a group on Roll20. And ever since I've kind of been, uh, I guess you could say mildly obsessed with D&D. I say as I look at, you know, my book collection of all the 5e books. Um, nice. So I've been playing for basically, uh, I guess, we, three years now. Um when I first started, I was playing the 5e playtest, so that was back when it was D&D Next, uh, and I also was playing uh, kind of like a 3.5 slash Pathfinder group uh, on Roll20, which is actually still going three years later. Nice. Um, so, you know, my love for D&D has kind of been going for quite a while, and as such, I really, really like getting people involved in the game because I know it's it's pretty hard for a newcomer to get involved. Um, D&D 5e itself is, is pretty simple to learn, but I feel like because people kind of have this idea, oh, it's only for super nerds, you know, it's it's got to be really hard to get into. It's going to be a super hard game. Like, look at all the big books. They don't realize how simple it is to learn. And, you know, really, you you only need the player's handbook and the most most of the rest of the stuff is online. So I like to try and teach people, OK, here are the things that I've learned since I've been playing. And here's the easiest way to go about it so that you can quickly pick up the game and get playing, you know, tomorrow if you wanted to so that's kind of uh you know how i feel about D. let's get some more people involved and get some diversity in the game so you know it's not just you know people have been playing for the past whatever 30 years or something and they're the only people playing and that's one of the reasons i was really excited to to talk to you here today because some of the other folks that i've interviewed so far in the show uh it's been great to learn from them their experience where they've they talk about playing D&D since second edition, and they've been playing for decades. And it's interesting to hear that you've just really been playing for the last three years or so and came in when, when D&D Next, which is now the fifth edition, started up. So just for you personally, what was it like going from not really having a background in tabletop games to getting immersed in that system and culture a bit? So... I actually, um, back, oh gosh, a long time ago, just thinking about this now, um, back when AOL was still, you know, the thing and that's where you got your internet and there was AOL chat rooms, I actually used to be really involved in like different role playing communities online. Okay. So I used to have like these, these characters where, you know, I'd play a lot of like, you know, oh, the elf ranger and things like that or, or, or joining the Gaia forums and creating your little avatar and kind of putting a story to them. Um, so I kind of had a little bit of a background in role playing. So I sort of understood how it worked. I had seen okay. plenty of fantasy movies and whatnot. So I, I got, the gist of it, but you know, coming into D and D, it was very um, overwhelming at first, especially because with with Five E, uh, when it was just D and D next, it was just a play test. So it was basically just 
you know, my group was passing around a bunch of printed out PDFs where, you know, the rules would occasionally change and we were just like, okay, well, how does this affect me when this changed? Okay, I'm playing a ranger. How did my ranger change in this new, um, you know, PDF that they sent out, the new update? So it was very interesting to get involved and, you know, trying to learn, you know, I I guess it was one of those instances where it's like, I don't know what I need to know Hmm. because I don't know anything about what I'm doing right now. Uh, So there was a lot of confusion getting involved. And that's why I think I I really like to help newbies because getting involved was a lot of, okay, well, there's all these books. Which book do I read or which PDF do I read? You know, what's important? What's not? Do I need to remember this rule? Is my DM going to help me with this rule? What even are spells? How do they work? Each round is six seconds. What is all of this (laughs) stuff? So it's it's really like, you know, you don't think about how complex it can be until you're teaching a new person they're like oh i don't understand what a bonus action is or or um you know what is an attack of opportunity or you know how do i move what are these little squares what do they mean you know how far can i move so there's there's a lot to learn and i kind of got crash courses in in all the games that i played and were you surrounded by other like newer players or were there some experienced folks in the mix um, when it came to D&D with the group that I play with online on Roll20, um, everyone kind of had an idea of what it was. Uh, actually, my entire group besides me uh, would watch ItMeJP's uh, roleplay. So they kind of had an idea how it worked because they would watch, you know, this, this roleplaying show on Twitch every single week. So they kind of had a little bit of background and, and got how it worked, whereas I came in and I was like, I know nothing about this. I've played a game that's sort of similar to it, but, you know, how similar, I don't know. Mm-hmm. So we all kind of learned together. Um, and, you know, we, we titled the uh, the Twitch stream that we actually streamed through uh, an adventure for beginners. We're not so much beginners now three years later, but we just kind of keep the name just because, you know, why not? Right. Consistency um, and branding. Sure. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, as for my group that I found on Reddit that uh, that I'm still friends with, um, some of them had a little bit of background. Like the one guy was military and he had played previous editions while he was, you know, deployed and whatnot. Um, the dungeon master actually is still and has been extremely involved in the D&D community online. Um, Rob Wallace, actually, he's one of the moderators on, you know, the unofficial D&D 5e Facebook page. Uh, so he knows quite a bit and has been playing for quite a long time. Um, and then kind of the rest of the people were just randoms that we found on Reddit, had a little bit of experience dabbled in it. So so I guess you could say there's a good mix of people who had no idea what they were doing like me and knew exactly what they were doing due to previous experience. Okay. And, yeah, talking about that initial, like the D&D Next PDF, I still have a couple of those sitting around in my closet at the moment. <laughs> yeah, I think I actually have them all saved on my Google Drive because, you know, why delete them? They're just, yeah, they, they, they take up no space. So just keep them around. And so most of the time that you're pl- are you that you're playing are you DMing or are you playing is it a mixture how do you balance that As of late I actually stopped DMing just because I have been DMing for Adventures League for the past 2 years um, and not that I want to quit I don't want to stop being a DM I actually find it a lot of fun but one of my players who joined us kind of halfway through out of the abyss, he said, hey, you know, I'd really like to try my hand at DMing. It would be really nice if you're still at the table so that you can help me when I have issues. Um, you know, can I DM the next game? I said, sure, it would it would be nice, actually, to have a little bit of a break mm-hmm. um, to go from running every single session to actually being able to participate and play. Uh, so that's the only group that I've DM'd with. Um, otherwise, I kind of will well, I'll DM one shots here and there. Um, but sometimes it can be really hard to commit to a full on campaign with people um, just because of the amount of time and it takes. Um, I really like running pre-made modules because it works perfectly with my work schedule as well as, you know, being able to balance playing other games like Overwatch a lot. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And so one of the things that you mentioned is this idea of getting kind of non role playing game people involved in Dungeons and Dragons. And I know that can sometimes be a challenge. I think, I think this is changing with episodes of Twitch shows and other shows where you can go online and actually watch people play D and D. And I think it removes some of the myths about what playing D and D is like. Um, I mean, they even had a, Acquisitions Incorporated in the movie theater last year. Oh, yeah, yeah. I actually saw that in theaters, yeah. Yeah, so I think there's more of that going on, shows like Big Bang and uh, Community and other things where they actually show people playing D&D, and it kind of takes the mystery out of it. 
what are some of the best ways that you've found to get non-D&D or role-playing game folks hooked in that, like, first or second game? Like, what, what seems to work for you as a DM or player? I think the thing that helps the most is is telling people that for the most part, you can literally do whatever you want. You know, do you want to play a crazy halfling wizard? Okay, you totally can. Do you want to play a dragonborn monk? Sure, why not? It's all about being flexible with these people and letting them have fun with it. I feel like there's a lot of people out there, DMs or other players who are super rules lawyers and everything has to be rules as written and you can't stray from it. And the best optimal class for this race is this and that and da 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 da. I, I think it's a lot more fun to be freeform with these people and say, okay, what do you want to do? What do you want to play? And I'll help you build a character around that idea. That seems to be the best way to get people involved, especially kids, because, you know, kids tend to need a little bit of guidance. Um, so, you know, getting getting their ideas down and then going off of that helps a lot to keep them on track. And I guess the same can go for adults as well. <laughs> yeah, and I think, you know, I, starting up players um... – who are not familiar with the rules or not familiar with the system, I think just getting them involved in the story of like, well, what kind of character do you want to play? You know, what, what seems like that, what would be enjoyable for you? It seems like that's where you start. Yes, definitely. Definitely. Um, just because it kind of brings out ideas from people that they didn't think they'd have or didn't think would be possible. And it's like, well, I want to play this really weird, you know, druid or something. And, you know, they transform into different animals. OK, well, we can totally do that. There's a druid class and you can totally transform into animals. You know, here's all these races that you can choose from. Which one do you want to be? Do you want to be a Kenku druid? Sure. Why not? We can we can figure this out. Um so it really kind of sparks a lot of interest in people that they have this freedom to do whatever they want. You're not bound by, uh, say, the rules of an MMORPG where all you can play is a human or an elf or an orc, and that's it. And you have to be these specific classes, and you have to choose these skills from this skill tree in a specific order, or else you can't advance. You know, there there isn't really that kind of strictness to it. Yeah, one things that one of the things that can be intimidating, I think, with any diving into a role-playing game like, like like Dungeons and Dragons is the freedom that you're offered. So it is almost limitless. Like I can be anything or I can do anything. Um, and you even mentioned this with the books, like well, what books do I need? What rules do I need to know? And I think as a more experienced player, one of the things that, that is helpful is to maybe help narrow the range for folks. So like, like, for example, start with this book or let's just start with this adventure and we'll figure it out. How do you go about doing things like that? So one thing I, I definitely understand is a lot of people that are, are trying to get into a new hobby, they don't want to throw all their money at it because, you know, it could be hit or miss. They might not actually find D&D fun. Mm -hmm. Maybe, you know, it's just not the thing for them. They don't, I don't know, maybe they don't like the social aspect of it. Maybe they don't like the fact that they have to read part of a book to understand the rules for their character or whatever it may be. So helping them understand what they need is, is really important. Um, you know, okay, what's the cheapest way possible for you to learn what you're doing okay well maybe you can start with a pre-made character and see how that goes or or you know a pre-made module um you know maybe you can you know just watch something on twitch and see how the people play that's completely free you just tune in for a couple hours and see if you like it or not um but also making people realize that to get started you don't need all three core books you you don't you know, generally one person can just buy a player's handbook, and if you have someone who's willing to run the games, okay, you can buy the the monster manual for them. You don't really need the Dungeon Master's Guide unless you're really getting into magic items. You know, there's some things that you can skip or you can buy later when you have more money and you're actually invested in the game. If you want until then, make up your magic items, whatever. Um, so I think it's definitely, you know, being conscious of the amount of money that people would want to spend to get into a new hobby and then making it as accessible to them as possible. That's great advice. And I, uh, I remember with fourth edition, I think it was newbie DM Enrique. He put up an article that was more or less a new player's buying guide. Cause there were so many products for fourth edition. Yeah. And yeah. After, oh my gosh. After a few years, you'd go to a bookstore or a gaming store and it, where do you even begin? There's 30 books. Which ones do I buy? He, <laughs> do I need all of them? And I, I believe I'm remembering correctly. He had put together a great blog post about uh, this is what you need. This is essential. Uh, no pun intended. And th <laughs> these are the other things that you can ignore if you're just starting out. So, you know, for people who are listening who, you know, 
are interested in maybe putting together a list or, or maybe just our new players themselves, what, what do you think is like the two or three things to just start with as a core set of, if you want to see if this hobby is for you, this is, this is where to begin. I would recommend that they get a player's handbook, a set of dice, and then maybe buy, you know, the starting module so that they can kind of get an idea of, okay, here's how, you know, here's how a story is written and how you'd run it. You don't need any of these extra books for it. And here's a player's handbook to really look through all the rules and the different options that you have besides just pre-made character sheets. A lot of people have a hard time getting attached to these pre-made characters. At least I do. Mm -hmm. I like to make my own characters. Um, So I think that's really enough. And I think that would be enough to get people hooked. Like I, I would generally say, Oh, just get a dice rolling app. If you're really, really, you know, on a budget, but at the same time, man, rolling physical dice is so much more fun than using an app. You know, you don't, you just don't get the same satisfaction as rolling real dice in front of you. And I think that's kind of part of the fun of it. The, you know, Oh, Oh, my dice is rolling and I rolled a one, you know, and everyone can kind of laugh at it or have fun with it. Yeah. So that's definitely what I'd recommend. Absolutely. The only, the only digital dice thing that I ever found enjoyable was when I some old edition of uh, Star Wars Trivia Pursuit. It came with an R two D two, and if you tapped his dome, it would like go through random numbers, and that would be your roll. That was fun. Oh, that's cute. I like that. That's very very cute. But other than that, yeah, like actually rolling dice is there's such a tactile kind of visceral feel to it, um, and it builds up I think tension around the table if there's an important roll, people get into it. Uh, exactly so and all the different like colors of dye and people can sort of customize there that's a uh, good times yeah and it's just like i don't know i feel like when when i was playing gamma world and we uh were talking about getting dice and whatnot a bunch of us went together to a store that we knew sold dice and we picked out dice together and it was just like such a fun bonding experience to go and pick out those dice. And, you know, I still have my first set of dice. It's like a Chessex uh, frosted pink set of dice yes. and I still use them and love them. So it's like, I don't know. It was just one of those moments where I really felt like, okay, this is for real. I'm playing this game and this is going to be so much fun playing it, you know, around the table with my friends and I've stuck to it ever since. So it's obviously the dice that kept me around. <laughs> Yeah, and I definitely second that plug for Chessic Dice. I know they're the they're my favorite in terms of the way they feel and all the different variations that they have. It, I was I've only been to one Gen Con and they had a big setup there. And I, oh my gosh, there's so much dice there. Like if I could just spend a hundred dollars on dice at Gen Con, I would just be like, all right, give me all the cool dice. I love them. And I think I spent at least over the span of four days, probably like three hours, just staring at different collections of dice. Like, well, yes, which ones yes. do I want to buy? And, my friend who was like more into magic, he's like, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I actually, um, I've been to two Gen Cons. Um, and the first one that I went to, I basically was walking around like, okay, here are all these dice. Which sets of dice do I like the most? Mm-hmm. And what character can I make that are based on these dice? Absolutely. Because I, I personally, you know, my first set of dice did not match the character that I played because we just kind of rolled them randomly. Mm-hmm. But ever since then, every single set of dice I buy goes with a character. Like they belong to them. You know, not, not one shots not counted, but like any like serious campaign where we're sitting down and playing, I buy dice to fit that character. Makes total so sense. So it's, to it's, me. it's great fun. Yes. I like the idea of going as a group to buy dice. I think that would be an awesome bonding experience for any yeah, it any, really was any adventuring party out there. Um, you've mentioned modules a few times, and uh, folks like uh, Susan Morris, who as I talked, I was talking to earlier, kind of talked about how she spends a lot of time homebrewing adventures and not relying on the modules. So maybe diving in a little bit on what's the best way to use the published modules to save time and to run games. How, how do you go about doing that? So as I mentioned, I've only been playing D&D for about three years, um, and I guess you could say role-playing games for about four years. Um, so when I kind of jumped into things, it was really um, – well, jumped into DMing. It was through Adventurers League. Mm-hmm. So essentially, I decided I wanted to make more friends that played D&D. I had just moved to the D.C. area. I, I really didn't know anyone besides my boyfriend at the time. So I was like, okay, well, how can I find friends? Well, then once 5e was released, you know, in full, they were like, oh, we're doing this thing. It's adventurously. You play in shops. You can just walk in. It's super cool. So I was like, 
okay, well, I'm going to get over, you know, my super hardcore, you know, introverted anxiety, and I'm just going to walk into a store by myself, and I'm going to see how all this stuff works. So I jumped into a table and was playing for a little bit, and I said, I would like to learn how to DM. If you ever need a new DM in the future, let me know. So about three weeks later, I walk into the shop, and the guy who runs Adventures League there goes, Allison, you mentioned a couple weeks ago that you're willing to DM. The table that I'm DMing is too much for me on top of working here. Will you take over for me? And I was like, um, <laughs> and I just kind of stood, at him, stood there and, and stared at him for a little bit. And I was like, I, I guess I can. And sure enough, you know, a week later, I was uh, I was DMing Horde of the Dragon Queen. And they were kind of I think they were on like chapter two. Okay. They were just going into that. And I was like, all right, um, here are all these people at this table that I, I don't know any of them. They play not only at the shop, but, you know, on weekends, they're all kind of friends outside of this. I've never DM'd before in my life. They're all more experienced than I am. Some of them have been playing since before I was born. So let's get to this and figure out what we're doing on the fly. So that was kind of like my crash course into DMing. And I kind of learned how to DM by running modules. So essentially for me, it was easiest just to continue running through Adventures League, running these pre-made modules or, or one shots or whatever was, you know, provided um, by all of that. And that's kind of how I've been doing things. Um, in terms of why I choose modules over homebrew, it's mostly a matter of time mm -hmm. uh, and trying to, you know, hold multiple hobbies at once because, you know, homebrewing doesn't have to be difficult. But for me, once I kind of put my time into that. I like to take a lot of time on it. So I figured we'll just keep running these modules and I'll run them how I want to. I don't have to follow everything exactly by the book. I can change things as I want to or leave things out or, you know, give more flavor to it or less to it. Mm -hmm. um, so it's been pretty successful for me. And it also means that I get to, you know, continue to play computer games or continue to spend time with my boyfriend or, you know, or just relax for the night instead of worrying about, oh, no, I have a session coming up this weekend and I have literally nothing planned. Instead, it's like, OK, well, I'll skim through my module and I'll be ready. We're good to go. You know, take an hour, do it or, you know, do it on my lunch break at work. So it's been pretty successful for me. I will be running homebrew sometime in the future, but, you know, it's time consuming. So that, that'll happen eventually. Yeah. And Horde of the Dragon Queen, that was a – I never got through the full adventure with uh, the group I was playing online. I went roll 20 with that. I think – is Chapter 2 where they enter the bandit camp? Um, I believe so. Yeah. Uh, it's when they encounter Leosin. Right, yes. Um, and he's, you know, being – yeah, so, so yeah, that's when he's being held captive and they have to kind of try and figure out how to rescue them. And, you know, my players, as I mentioned, they were all experienced and they'd all been playing D&D &D longer than me mm -hmm. and played in another group outside of that. So it was kind of like they knew exactly what they were going to do and were, were, you know, they knew how to plan and how to role play and how to do combat very well. So basically, like, they went in and they just, like, burned <laughs> – they, they got Leosin out and they burned the entire camp down. And I was just – standing there like i was ready to cry i was right. like i don't know what to do <laughs> they broke the <laughs> I module <laughs> i wasn't expecting this 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 isn't like one of the things that the module says could happen i wasn't expecting them to like run around with gasoline and then light the place on fire and run out what what happens now so it was like it was a hardcore crash course and figuring out okay they broke everything what happens now how do i figure this out and you know after continuing to play with them for about two years, yep, they still do the same thing. They still, you know, everyone I think that they're going to talk to, they kill. And then everyone I think they're going to kill, they talk to. So <laughs> they've taught me how to improvise directly on the spot without having any time to think about it. So it's it's been a good, like, learning experience for me. Yeah, that's a great point of you would think running a, a module that you have – that there would be less improv. And, and maybe there is, but – I, I recall running that specific adventure in, in that scenario. I think I had to come up with two or three NPCs in the camp because the players were very cautious and they were exploring things like spying around the camp and they used a combination of spells to free Leosin and it was. Oh man, your players went about a lot more cautious than mine. Yeah. Mine like 
they they tried to gamble with someone in a tent and then killed everyone in the tent and then took their their costumes so that they had these cult of the dragon costumes and they were like wearing them and then they burned everything down and i was just like oh my gosh dnd is so hard to dm what have i gotten myself into <laughs> i think my group was exploring for like two or three <laughs> sessions just like yeah. then they were in a series of caves and oh my gosh yours yours were much more cautious than mine were <laughs> and, but but I also think it, you know, frees people up to if they're reading the modules, that you can change things. Like you have, permi- exactly. you have permission exactly. to make things up if there's a section you don't like. Like there was, I think, an encounter or two in the beginning of that, which is pretty hardcore. Like it's level one players, and there's a dragon attacking a keep, and there's a couple. Yeah, what, do you, what do you do? <laughs> there's a couple encounters where I just didn't like the way it was written and felt it was going to be kind of clunky at the table. So I was like, well, I can just ignore that and focus on the other stuff. And that, exactly. that worked out fine. How do you go about either adding or taking things away from the module when, um, you know, you think it might not fit in with the overall vibe of what you're looking for? So generally what happens is, you know, I read through the module a couple times. Like first I, I give it a quick skim and kind of get the gist of, of what's going on in the chapter. And then I'll read it again in full. And then, okay. you know, this is generally the week before the actual session. And then I'll try, I try and read it again, either the day of, or the day before the session. And I decide, you know, based on my players, previous actions and what happened in the last session. Okay. What do I keep? Mm-hmm. What do I take away? Um, what do I think my players will enjoy? You know, and one, you know, in one case, some of them really liked combat or they were really on a big, like, I want to fight a bunch of things, you know, streak. Mm-hmm. So I try and make sure that, you know, something was combat focused or something could lead to combat if they did, you know, certain things a certain way. Um, and others, you know, sometimes they just really wanted to role play. They were, you know, being a little bit calmer and actually talking to people instead of just murdering them right away. Um, so, <laughs> or you know, setting I, them I, on fire. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I learned that, you know, at one point they – I think there was four of them at my table um, to to kind of give you a, a table size number. Uh, generally, I was running for seven to eight people. Obviously, it's a little bit bigger than Adventures League, but, you know, <laughs> we made it work. Um, there wasn't enough DMs to go around and we didn't want to turn people away. So, you know, I just made it happen. Um, but yeah, at least four of them at one point had fireball. So what Mm. they started doing is they would, uh, you know, try and befriend these large groups of whatever, and then they would call for a toast. And that toast was actually all of them fireballing the bad guys at once. (laughs) Um, so, you know, Sometimes I knew that that's that's what they wanted to do. They had a ton of fun with that. They thought it was hilarious and they'd tell stories about it all the time. So, you know, if there was going to be a, a group of kind of weak bad guys, I'd, I'd make it bigger so they could have more fun, you know, just torching these poor things or whatever they were. Um, so kind of just making things uh, geared towards your players and what they like is, is really important with modules because you do have that option to change things. And that's when so you it's to, definitely one of the things I did. Yeah, it's one after you, after several times of that, you throw in some creatures that are resistant to fire or something that they don't know about, <laughs> and it's like, oh, now what do we do? <laughs> yeah, that was back before I realized that you could do a lot a lot more, uh, you know, personal editing, I guess you could say, of these modules. But it was kind of like sometimes I would just add more creatures or whatever would be, uh, you know, more things to torch for them. Just but now like, it's kind of like, OK, I know I can replace monsters or I can make the monsters stronger or weaker, or, you know, hit harder or whatever it may be. You know, as long as I'm not changing too much, you know, keep it true enough. So so you definitely learn a lot over over time while DMing. That's great. And in terms of D&D, like, oh, like kind of what are some of your future plans with with that hobby? That is a good question. So I mentioned um, that, you know, I'm, I'm streaming on Twitch now. Um, so I would like to stream some games um, via Roll20. I would like to eventually in the future do it like streaming in-person games. Okay. But that's a lot more expensive and time-consuming and a little bit difficult because I feel like when you're in person, there's a lot more getting off track and, you know, mm. people get up to get snacks and people get up to get more to drink and whatever. So, you know, a lot of logistics go behind that. There um, might be more alcohol involved in those Yes, there's definitely games. a lot more alcohol involved. Um, I mean, to be fair, that makes it a lot of fun, but that means more people getting sidetracked the, fr- yes. <laughs> the further along you go. Yes. 
Um, it becomes so a little bit of crowd control at that point. Yes, yes, yes. Trying to keep all the people quiet and focused is very difficult to begin with, but then add alcohol and snacks and it's even worse. Um, but yeah, so I'd like to, to stream some, some D&D in the future. Um, I was thinking actually just the other day about the possibility of just streaming. Um, there's there's different like uh, you could do D&D talk show. Mm-hmm. Um, because there's like a talk show channel and then there's like, um, the, the new IRL category where you can just could go in and talk about your D and D session for that day. Okay. Um, so just different things that you could do on Twitch, um, just to talk about D and D in general. Um, I'm too lazy to edit videos or edit podcasts and that's why I let other people do it, but it would be kind of cool to have an impromptu Twitch session where you're teaching people how to play. So anyone can join and ask you questions and watch you make a character or watch you discuss the rules um, on Twitch. And that's kind of much more my style because I don't have to edit anything. You just, you just do it live and then you're done. (laughs) Yeah. I think that'd be a great service and I don't know what else is out there. I mean, I know there's certainly from wizards and other entities that are, they have, you know, actual play games and shows, but more having a, a talk showy format where you're maybe having five, 10 minute, maybe longer just picking a topic and saying, okay, here's how you do X as a new player. And here's what to expect at a table. And here's some thing. Almost looks like a public service of here's what not to do. Yeah. Yeah. Uh Or, you know, leave it up to you. You decide, do you want to do this or not? But yeah, I think it would be really great, um, you know, to, to discuss it because I know with things like, um, uh, critical role and whatnot, mm-hmm. a lot more people are getting into D&D. And I've, I've definitely noticed, you know, when I first started using Twitter about two years ago, the people that were following me were like, I've been playing D&D for a really long time. Uh, you know, I am really entrenched in D&D. Now it's like a lot of people finding me are like critical role watchers who have never played D&D, but they watch the show and they want to get involved somehow. So, you know, the the people on Twitter, it's kind of like evolving. Um, so I feel like it would be a good service for all these people who are like, I watch it all the time, but no one around me wants to play. How do I, how do I learn, you know, besides just watching? I want to learn as a person, not just watching other people. Um, so I think that would be very helpful, especially right now, getting all these young people and, and newcomers into the game. Yeah, and I just I found uh, it's interesting to talk about that. I found an article online today about this is an all women's kind of D group in Cincinnati that meets up at the library like once or twice a month. And there was a news article about it. Um, and most of the people it interviewed in the article are folks who kind of that same deal. It's like, well, I heard about D and D for a long time, but I never played. And yeah, um, it seems like there's certainly a lot more momentum for, for this hobby, which is very it's less cool. taboo now. Yeah. Uh, people are less afraid. Like, if I mention to like a group of new people that I play D and D, it's I'm not looked at strangely. They're like, "Oh, really? That's really cool." You know, when did you learn? How did you learn? Etc. Um, it actually has accidentally come up in most of my interviews. Um, you know, when I when I was looking for my current job, every single interview that I went into somehow got onto the topic of D and D, and everyone was super thrilled about it and wanted to learn more and was asking me questions. Um, you know, the, the one job I interviewed for, you know, um, had they not gone with an internal person, they wanted to hire me and they like wanted me to teach them how to play and whatnot. So it was like <laughs> there are a lot more people interested in D&D than you'd, than you'd think. And, you know, there are a lot of average people that don't look like, you know, super hardcore nerds that want to play. Yeah, which is which is great. And and I wonder just as being a woman and, you know, what is that like for you in a hobby that's been traditional at least in the past, more dominated by, by men. I think that's changing for the better, which is great. But what what's your experience been as a new player in this in this world? So thankfully, my experience with, um, you know, learning um, Gamma World in, in college, the entire group that I played with was all guys, but they were all friends from, from my fraternity, which again was co-ed. Mm-hmm. So they were all super awesome, and I knew them as people even before that. So that was great. Um, when I came into Adventurers League, I was like, eh, I don't know how this is going to go. This could go really bad or really good. It ended up being great. There were a couple other women that were playing. They were very nice. All the people that were there were very uh, conscious of making people feel included and not like they were, you know, weird or the odd person out. Um you know, when I started DMing, nobody questioned me just because I was a woman. You know, they didn't care. They just wanted to play games. 
Um, My experiences at Gen Con were a little bit mixed. Um, You know, my my first Gen Con was when I was kind of like, I would like to learn how to DM. A year later, I decided to sign up and and run some slots for newbies. I signed up for two. And, um, you know, the the first day I actually was one of the, you know, one of the first few people there and they actually didn't give me a table and instead uh, said I could leave because they didn't need another DM. So that was a little bit awkward. Oh, wow. And the second day uh, I was again there, one of the first kind of first few people um, and they didn't give me a table until the last, uh, the last table happened to come up, you know, like 20 minutes into the time slot. They were like, Oh, you can have these people and just show them how to play. Mm. Um, so it was kind of awkward. Um, and you know, it felt a little bit weird that I was, you know, one of very, very few female DMS that these people who showed up after me, who weren't as prepared as me, didn't have the same supplies that I did. were given tables before I was, and we were running the same, you know, low level games. So that was kind of the first time where I was like, oh, am I really welcome here? Uh, as a woman that runs games, you know, I, I felt kind of conflicted about that. Um, you know, I don't I obviously don't know if it was on purpose. No one was saying like no one wants a female DM, but it kind of felt like I was being, uh, you know, sent home and then given the last table just because I was a woman and they didn't think I was capable of running games. So who knows? Mm-hmm. Um, and were you able but, to give them any feedback about that? Um, I believe I did leave feedback. That was Baldwin Games running. Sure, it. So yeah. I, I think I did leave feedback in some form, but that was about uh, I guess it was two, two years ago now. So it was a little while ago. So if I did, I don't I don't recall exactly what feedback I did leave. Um, but I mean, it didn't it obviously didn't, you know, sour my taste in DMing because I still run games and I still teach people yeah. how to play games. Uh, you know, one, one yeah. instance of people being kind of crappy or weird, you know, didn't didn't deter me from playing. And also at the same time, you know, I, I actually haven't run into any people saying like, oh, you're a girl. What do you know? Or, oh, you're a girl, There's, you run games, really? Why? You know, do people actually listen to you or do they trust your advice? You know, I actually haven't run into that, whereas, you know, I definitely have run into that a ton playing computer games. Mm-hmm. So it's it's very nice that, you know, most people are pretty inclusive and, you know, the people I play with are inclusive as well. You know, there's generally at least one or more women at my table, if possible. Um, so it's it's pretty great, actually. Yeah, and you mentioned the different like gaming environments. I, I think the role playing game culture is improving in in that way with yes, um, for sure diversity, not just gender but also racially. And I, I think there's you know efforts to like kind of purposely make that happen. And you know the other thing I wanted to to talk with you about was Overwatch, which is a different format, you know, gaming but kind of a to- totally different culture. How are those two cultures different in that regard, or is it similar? I would say they're pretty different for the most part, at least in my personal experiences. Mm-hmm. So I've been playing PC games since I was 12, basically when I really started using a computer. And when I was young, I played tons of MMORPGs, just free-to-play ones that were mm-hmm. kind of smaller and unheard of. Um, I eventually graduated to... Um, League of Legends, you know, shortly after college, and then more recently, as soon as it was released, Overwatch. Um, so my experience is playing, you know, computer games. Uh, it's it's hit or miss. Um, you know, when I was young playing these MMOs, it was back when Vent was still a big thing, and everyone would, you know, get on a Vent server and talk and. It was really awkward because, you know, I was this young girl just trying to play games and have fun and I would join a vent server to talk to all my friends in game and all of a sudden they'd hear my voice and there would just be silence. Mm. Everyone would stop talking and go, you're a girl. Are you really a girl? (laughs) And it was just it was always Uh. so awkward to explain that. Yes, I'm a girl. Yes, I'm playing games with you guys. We've been talking for like, you know, the past month. Nothing has changed. I'm still the same person that you've been talking to. And no, I have never been lying about being a girl. And even when you were just like talking about being like a PC gamer and like even the tone of your voice changed, like you're like, oh, like it's sounds like it's it's kind of like pretty rough to go through. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so then I started playing League of Legends, um, and I was playing actually with, with D&D friends, a group that I play Roll20 with, or play on Roll20 with. They were actually the ones that taught me how to play League of Legends. So that was pretty cool that I got involved with them, and they, they taught me how to play the game. 
Um, eventually I learned that actually in the DC area that there's a DC League of Legends group. So I was like, oh, this is really cool. I joined the group. Oh, and then I learned that this group actually has viewing parties of, of professional level games. I had no idea that there was a professional level of the game or that they actually, you know, broadcasted these games. But I decided again, I'm new to the DC area. I'm just gonna, I guess I'm gonna give it a shot and go to a viewing party and, you know, watch this game being played. I ended up going really awkwardly standing by myself half the time, drinking beer to forget the fact that I was there by myself. And I ended up making a couple of friends there that I'm still friends with now. Um, so, you know, I did that for a while. And then uh, I actually help with a local LAN as well. Okay. Um, so I used to organize the League of Legends people. Uh, that kind of fell off when I stopped playing League of Legends. And now I play Overwatch. So I still help with the local LAN. Now I'm helping with Overwatch. Um, as you mentioned in the very beginning in my intro, I also help with Cal League, which is like an amateur uh, competitive Overwatch um, Discord and group. And you do the uh, social media for them? Yeah, so I do the social media. So I generally handle the Twitter or, you know, I'm, I'm a moderator on the Discord. So, you know, I'm the one trying to keep people on topic. Uh, you know, big mean mod, obviously. <laughs> I can, you know, ban you if you're too mean. Drop the hammer from time to time. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think I've banned like three people in the many months that I've been involved and they were just not very good people. Um, so, you know, I also help answer questions or, or, you know, send people in the right direction if they want to do something specific. Um, so I just really like getting people involved in gaming and helping people with gaming and, you know, I don't know, helping people have fun, I guess. Um, so I've been kind of involved with that. I also date a pro player. Um, I date Stoop, who is on the professional team Fnatic. Okay. Um, so he's actually in Korea right now, um, for OGN Apex season two, um, so, you know, I'm I'm pretty involved in Overwatch or at least as much as my job allows me to be, you know, in my free time. Almost similar to you talked about people like some strategies or tips to get pe new players into D&D. Like myself, I, I got Overwatch soon after it came out for uh, PS4, uh, played for like a week or two, then lost track of it, then picked it up recently again. Still consider myself very much a newbie in that game. Like what... How, how do you encourage people to get into Overwatch or what are some tips for beginners that you could share? So I will start by saying um, that I am in no way a professional. I just <laughs> happen to date one. And, you know, my opinions are, are mine because I know that people with PC gaming, they're like, well, if you're not this rank, you can't say anything. You know, I just like to tell people to have fun, to pick, you know, heroes that you like to play and don't worry about what other people think. You know, if you like to play Torbjorn, then, you know, play Torbjorn. He's not the most optimal character in all situations. But if that's what you're having fun with, you know, do it. Um, it's also just important for people to learn how to communicate and communicate properly in game. You know, there's a difference between saying, you know, hey, you suck really bad. You're not getting any kills. Switch off of Genji or something mm -hmm. versus saying, hey, guys, you know, we're, we didn't do so well. We lost that game. Is there anything that we can change? Is there any any, you know, hero that someone's not comfortable on and they'd like to switch? You know, making it a lot about, you know, the team. What can we do to improve as a team versus, hey, you suck right. and that's it you know that is not constructive advice at all that doesn't help anything and that makes the situation worse because then someone's super salty and then they get tilted and then because they're tilted you tilt the entire team and then it's just a complete wash and waste of time yeah, who's playing reaper he's the worst yeah. Like, yeah. yeah so it's it's very like important to learn to, to communicate with people and you know making people realize that you know, if if you're always blaming everyone else for your problems, you're never going to improve because you're never seeing your own problems. You're not saying why you're bad. You're just saying that you're saying that someone else is bad. That doesn't fix anything. That doesn't change, you know, the outcome of your games by blaming, you know, your problems on everyone else. So it's a lot of, you know, teaching people how to have the right attitude and teaching people to understand that, you know, you have to change things up sometime. You can't always play the same hero in every game. You need to learn a couple in case someone else takes their hero. You know, if you only play Mercy, then, you know, if someone else takes Mercy before you, what are you going to do <laughs> if right. you don't know any of the others? So, and it took, you know, while it's important to have fun, you know, you need to be able to help other people have fun, too. And for the, the uninitiated out there who might have never played Overwatch or have maybe just seen it, you know, it's really kind of interesting because when I bought the game, there it's... Like usually I'll I'll buy a game like uh, Dragon Age or something where it's an RPG and there's very much a long campaign mode, and mm -hmm. with Overwatch, 
there's really the only way to play it is online with other yes, people. Yes. There's yep. there's no real single player mode to speak of, which is, I mean you can play with with AI, right? But it's not really exciting to play with AI. Yeah. <laughs> it gets old after a while. So you play these different game modes, and you're paired up. Unless you're like connecting with friends online, you're just paired up mm-hmm. with other random people. And kind of the a little bit of a problem I've had is trying to coordinate with those random people in any game when you get paired up, if like they don't have a microphone or they're not paying attention. So it, it can feel at times like you're playing like one-on-one, but with five other people who are doing one-on-one. Yeah. You just happen to also be there in the same game as you. Yeah. It can be really difficult sometimes, especially with people who, who I guess the, the simplest way to say it aren't as good as the game. They don't have as many hours in it. They have, you know, they have time to play it casually and that's it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they don't have time to go into competitive or whatever because of work or kids or family or school or whatever it may be. I qualify with all those things now. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, so it's important just to learn kind of the things that you can do. You have to understand that you can't control everything in the game. So you just try and control what you can, you know. If you want your team to know that your ultimate is up, well, you better hit that Z button on your keyboard and report your alt status to your team so they know that you, your alt set, you know, 72%. It'll be up soon. You can use it soon. Awesome. Or, you know, if you're dying and, you know, you have a healer alive that's not paying attention to that, you need to be hitting a button to say, hey, I need healing, or you need to be saying it, I need healing. Um, so it's all a matter of trying to help your team understand what's going on with you while you're also trying to pay attention to what's happening with them. Um, so essentially situational awareness in the game. You know, if you hit tab to bring up, you know, uh, who's on which side or, or what's going on, who has which hero, you can also see if they're dead because they have a big old X over them. Are both of your healers dead? Okay, well, then you're not going to get any healing unless you find a health pack. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of helping to inform yourself to to play the game better and learning how you can help yourself to be informed. Um, so, so with a game like Overwatch, it's a lot of paying attention to these little little things that kind of all add up into helping you be a better team player, knowing when people's ults are going to be up, knowing who's dead when, uh, knowing, you know, what each hero does and how these things can, can be p- combined and talking on your microphone if you actually have a microphone, which you should <laughs> if you're playing in competitive. Um, so all these different things kind of go together to, to learn how to play the game. But thankfully, it's not like uh, League of Legends where you don't have to worry about items. So you don't have to worry about what people are building on your team and yelling at them for building the wrong things. It's just kind of like, okay, well, they have a weird pick. That's the only thing you can really help them about. Or, you know, you don't have a scoreboard, so you're not seeing when someone's died 15 times. Right. <laughs> so you can just ignore that. And I read a, because like on Twitter, what I've, you know, cultivated over the years is a really good group of, uh, like other DMs and uh, folks who play D&D, and it's just a great source for advice and getting ideas. And lately I've been doing the same for um, Hearthstone, which is a card game I play, but now like Overwatch, I've been doing that a bit more. And I read a I, – I can't remember the, the name of the individual who um, put it up, but it was a really good thread about like even if people don't have a microphone and aren't communicating, just make a point to like team up with somebody and – cover their back or like follow yes. them around Yeah, that, that's definitely helpful because yes. especially depending on what you're playing because then eventually they'll realize what you're doing and then they'll help you out and then yeah you kind of sync up and then ideally like other people you form a team that's doing that even if it's random people and like your performance you'll win more games and it'll be yeah, more exactly. enjoyable so it sounds like you think that's also a good idea yes yes it's definitely a good idea to am i allowed to curse Will I get yelled at? Will you bleep that out or anything? Maybe I'll. Well, I think because it's it's not meant to be uh, explicit, so maybe you can uh, fudge it a bit. Um. So so you know, as I mentioned, my boyfriend plays professionally, and you know, originally I was playing only support because I've always enjoyed playing support characters. I like buffing other people and helping them do good. Um. But I recently realized. I can't climb as well as a healer. So I stopped playing healer and I learned to play tanks and DPS uh, heroes. And I was asking my boyfriend for advice and I was like, what do I do when I'm trying to improve in, in just regular old quick play and I'm trying to, you know, I'm playing the squishy DPS and I'm dying all the time because I have 200 health and they just destroy me. What, what do I do? And, you know, fudging what he said, uh, <laughs> essentially it was, you know, you needed to play up your healer's butt. 
You need to be right next to them, defending them all the time, and just playing right there so that they can see you when you're when you're damaged and they can heal you right away. Mm-hmm. Just just play up their butt and you know be there for them, and they'll be there for you. Um, so that's kind of one of those things I definitely learned that you need to, you know, pick someone to stick around and generally you want to stick around that healer because it'll keep you alive. It's very helpful. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, so yeah, that's, that's definitely something, you know, pick someone or something to stay by, you know, stay by Zarya because she can bubble you if you go in or stay by Reinhardt because he's a giant rectangle shield that you stand behind and people can't hit you then, or at least not as easily. Right. Um, so learning those things about the game is very helpful. Yeah, and the, the the other cool thing about Overwatch is that there's a lot of different modes, and then they have the events. Like right now, there's the Year of the Rooster event, and it has this yeah, yes. very cool the capture, the flag. capture the Flag mode, which I said this on Twitter. It just reminds me of the good old days of playing Halo and having like that Capture the Flag mode in the Blood Gulch map, which I think I played for, I don't know, how many hours and days and weeks <laughs> and months, but... Uh, it's a really fun mode, and it kind of has an interesting meta all to itself. Um, yes, definitely, definitely. The the meta changes for all these little events. Okay, which ones are the best ones to pick? All right, let's pick them, or at least try to. You can only, you know, convince your team to do so much. <laughs> so, what are some of the what are kind of your most enjoyable modes in the game? What do you like the most? So generally for me, when I'm playing, um, I've been trying to get more into a competitive mindset now that I have a little bit more free time. Um, in previous sessions, really the only night that I had free to myself to sit down and play for multiple hours was Tuesdays. And that was really it. Like other nights of the week, I had D&D or I had, um, you know, colleague helping run events and, and, you know, live tweeting events. Um, but now that I have more free time, basically what I do is, you know, now I've been popping up my stream, practicing a little bit in quick play to get warmed up, to get my fingers, you know, kind of, uh, I guess, feeling loose and, and you know, getting into the groove of playing the game. So I'll play a couple quick play games and then I jump into ranked. So I've been doing that mostly. Um, A while ago when I was trying to get out of the only playing support mindset, I actually would go into uh, the mystery heroes version Mm -hmm. and I would just play mystery heroes because if they throw me Widowmaker and I suck really bad at Widowmaker, I'd be like, well, this is Mystery Heroes. I was just given this hero. I didn't pick it. So, you know, you can't really blame me for sucking when I get this random hero that I don't, you know, I have five minutes in. What are you going to say? Um, so that's how I actually ended up learning Reaper. And that's also how I kind of uh, got used to May and, uh, you know, a couple other heroes. That's, that's just how I ended up learning them in this Mystery Hero mode. Um you know, so that's that's definitely very helpful for people who are like, I want to play other heroes, but I'm afraid that I'm going to suck. Uh, you know, I'm afraid that people are going to yell at me for sucking at, at the hero I'm playing. Well, just play mystery heroes. No one can blame you for what you got. So, it, you know, that ended up working out really well for me. There's also the one-on-one elimination where it just throws you. At... Oh, man, I'm so bad at that. Oh, it's, <laughs> it's brutal. Oh I've had a lot of 0-3s, but there's sometimes where I'll win, and that, that's kind of rewarding. But, yeah, there'll, there'll be heroes because how many heroes are there now, like 20, 18 or? Uh, there's 20. There's a lot. 23. Uh, yeah, Sombra was 23, I believe. So um, that's one of the really fun things about that game, because when I first started playing, like when it first came out, I think just because he's sort of easy to understand and reminded me of other games, I was playing Soldier 76 a lot. Oh, yeah, Call of Duty, man, is, as I like to call him. You know, he, he's he got a machine gun. He can heal himself a bit. Then he's got, Yeah, he's pretty simple. He's got rockets. It's like, okay, this makes sense to me. And then... I started playing Tjorbjorn, and then I took a break, <laughs> and then I came back to it. And I was like, you know, I just – Roadhog seems fun. He's like Scorpion. And he is super strong right now, Some super strong. Six Scorpion from Mortal Kombat with a shotgun. It's like, <laughs> this guy's great. So I've been learning, just practicing him a lot, and then I was kind of messing around with uh, Zenyatta. But, like, playing those different characters, the game feels completely different. And how you yes, play it yes. and the experience, like being support or being tank. And I think it's a it's a really big strength of Overwatch is that you could you could play that game for weeks, but it's a different game depending on yes. what kind of hero. And all the different play. maps is great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And they keep adding more to it. I think it's a really good model where you don't have to keep buying 
Well, expansions. unless you're like me and you buy loot boxes and then you're like, oh, gosh, why did I spend $20 on loot boxes? <laughs> so, like, are, are you, do you pretty much have everything, like all the different skins no, and stuff? No, I try not to buy loot boxes very often. Yeah. But, like, you know, like I mentioned in previous seasons, really, I didn't have that much time to play. Mm-hmm. So I'd be like, well, I want these skins because I probably won't get them until next year's. But I want them now, right. so I'd occasionally buy the loot boxes to try and help myself get these uh, the skins that I wanted. So as an adult with a full time job, I can now justify buying loot boxes. You can splurge. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'd be like, well, I guess I don't need as much cool beer this week. I will instead buy twenty dollars worth of loot boxes. <laughs> so what's your what's the favorite skin that you either have or don't have right now? I really like. Actually, I don't. I don't remember the, the. I think it's it's Nutcrackers and Yada is what it's technically called. Oh, the, Christmas, but I, the Christmas one. Yeah, I just call him Nut Yada. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I really like that skin. I don't play Winston ever, but I got super excited when I got the Winston Yeti one because I think he looks really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and what else? There's a there's really a lot of cool ones. Um, the the jackal one for Farah as well. I think that those are all really cool. So I, I like a lot of them. There's there's way too many to choose from, but I guess right now my my super favorite is is Nutcrackers and Yada. Yeah, I saved up because I still do kind of the free to free to play thing. I haven't bought loot boxes, but I'll save up the gold I get, and I I bought the uh, Rudolph skin for Roadhog and. Th- oh yeah, I have that one. Th- it's pretty cute. That's in good a, times. In a not cute way, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Seeing as it's it's Roadhog. <laughs> so, so what? I mean, you talked about uh, you mentioned you know your your partner who's involved in the very competitive scene of Overwatch and what's that culture like? It's really interesting uh, because as I mentioned a while back um, that I started watching Professional League of Legends you know mm-hmm. about two years ago. So I kind of had this really distant view of the scene, I guess you could call it, of of League of Legends professionally and and you. Know, being on Twitter, seeing these people and who they're involved with and, you know, how these people interacted with each other. I like to, I like to sometimes like, you know, observe things. Um, but in this case, I got to get involved with the community literally at launch. Mm-hmm. Basically the, the, you know, days before Overwatch launched, I went onto a website called Liquidpedia that kind of lists all the teams and who's on them. And I went through and I found all the people on all the teams at the time. And I just went onto Twitter and I followed all of them. So I basically had this basis of all these people to watch. And it helped me see how teams formed and how they broke up and who moved to what teams and and what people were picked up by professional esports organizations and who these people associated with and who they're dating and who they're friends with and, and all this other crazy stuff. So it's really interesting to see how the scene formed only a couple months ago and where it was then versus where it is now. Back then it was just a bunch of people hanging out at home, playing video games with their friends. And now these people are traveling to Korea, traveling to yeah, Europe, or, yeah. you know, the Europeans are coming to the U S or, you know, they're, they're playing tournaments online or, you know, they start in, in Cali with our amateur league where, you know, they start playing games, you know, you know, we're, we're casting them. And then all of a sudden they're being picked up by real teams, real esports organizations. So seeing it all evolve over the past few months has been really, really interesting. And, and kind of, I guess, in, in a sense, me being involved with it by dating a player has been super interesting. You know, the people that I get to talk to or, or I get to know or the, the insider information that I get to know first, but I can't say anything about until, you know, it actually happens is really, really cool. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, it's it's been a roller coaster, I guess you could say, in terms of going from just casually playing the last beta weekend to dating a player to helping with tournaments and, you know, on the amateur level, it's, it's really cool. Yeah. And, you know, Hearthstone has quite a, you know, a big professional scene and there's a lot of um, tournaments that go on quite a bit of, I think, money involved in these things. And yeah, yeah. as just kind of a casual player looking at that and also getting into Overwatch a little bit, in some ways it seems a little overwhelming because there's all these different tournaments. It's kind of hard to know how they're all connected. And also just hearing things like players switching teams and different kind of controversies that come up. It does, it seems like an outsider is kind of chaotic. And I'm wondering as someone who's a little bit closer, does it also feel that way or does it make more sense the closer you get to it? Um, 
so I feel like the closer you get to it, the more you see the drama, like, especially because like everyone's on Twitter. So when something bad happens, you generally immediately see people kind of airing out that dirty laundry mm-hmm. very quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel like at least with, with Overwatch, the general age of the players, I feel is a little bit older. So there's less than there is in say, you know, professional league of legends, but you still see that drama. You still are, you know, if you're keeping up with the competitive scene, you're seeing, Who's getting benched? Who's getting kicked? Who's getting fined? Um, you know, who's getting dropped from teams and who's being picked up by teams? And, you know, uh, you know, oh, what drama was started on Twitter yesterday between these two people? So you definitely see um, a lot of what goes on in the scene. Um, and a lot of it's happening on Twitter or being talked about on Twitter. Yeah, it's just and it's just so interesting because it seems like especially Overwatch, which like didn't exist what, when did it come out? Did it come out in August? Uh, no, it was a little bit before that. Before I then? can't remember exactly. I think it was like April is when it was officially released. But, I could be very wrong. So, um, but it's about a year, and already just how successful it's been, and the, the different uh, like infrastructure that's going on for tournaments and competitive play. It's pretty wild. Yeah, actually, I, I just remembered it was like it was like May, like late May. Okay. Um, but but yeah, it hasn't been out that long, and it's just, you know, a lot of things have completely changed from the start. You know, all these little leagues, uh, you know, coming coming out and you know running different tournaments, and you know, some of them have prize pools, some of them don't. And some of these people you had no clue who they were, you know, a couple of weeks ago, all of a sudden are you know they're on the top five hundred board and they're on a you know, a small time team now, like where did this person even come from? Mm-hmm. Um, so to see that evolution of the scene has been really, really cool. And how do you think the game does in terms of, you know, from like someone like myself who like I'm level 31 or something, like I'm still just getting started and how does it separate the folks who are just kind of clueless and having fun, but don't really know exactly what they're doing versus the people who are like seriously competitive about it? So I feel like there's a, a pretty huge divide between your super, super casual player and your professional player mm-hmm. um, in a sense that people who are playing it just for fun after work and then, you know, they play for like an hour and then they go, you know, deal with their kids or whatever it may be. They're kind of on a, a different level where they're like, yeah, I like this game. It's fun. But, you know, I'm not going to be playing competitive and doing my my placement matches and getting, uh, you know, grandmasters. It's, it's not it's not going to happen, you know, this month or potentially ever. And that's totally fine because that's how I was with League of Legends. I played League very casually and, you know, I generally would get to like silver and then, you know, that that was good enough. I didn't really have fun in competitive, but I had a ton of fun in you know, like their quote unquote quick play mode where it was just super casual and I could, you know have fun with it. So there's definitely a lot of differences going on there um, with your casual player. But I mean, even as a casual player, you can still watch the professional level play. And, you know, in most cases you can understand what's going and you can learn from it, or you can watch streamers on Twitch and learn from them. So it's really, it is what you make it and, and how involved you want to get is really up to you. Yeah. And that's what I've done with, you know, probably the game I play a little bit more is, is Hearthstone. Like you said, watching people on Twitch, watching streamers, even if, you maybe watch somebody who really knows what they're doing for a half hour, you kind of pick up one or two little nuggets of, Oh, okay. I, I could do that in this situation. And yes, yes, it improves your play a little bit. So the next time you go back just casually playing, it might help you win an extra game or two. And that kind of reinforces like, okay, I like this hobby. I'll keep doing it. So exactly the, the whole idea of being able to watch professionals play these games or even quasi-professionals, people who just are more experienced, know what they're doing. And same thing goes with D&D. I think it's just a boon for these um, hobbies because um, it gives people that kind of live experience of, oh, here's how I could do something different. Exactly. And and a lot of times, even if they're professional-level players, you can ask them questions and they'll answer them if they have the time to, if the chat's not moving extremely fast. Like, So it's really, really helpful. And, and now is a, a good time to get involved with things while you – you can still ask questions. And I guess one way to kind of put it is like right now in Overwatch, the professional level players are still really accessible. And what I say by that is you could like tweet at them or maybe private message them or ask a question in their stream and they'll actually answer it. And they'll potentially even give you a big explanation of it. 
Whereas if you go into the stream of a professional League of Legends player, chances are there's going to be so much, you know, Twitch chat spam that they're never going to see it. Mm-hmm. Or the only way they'll see it is if you donate a certain amount of money and it actually pops up on their screen and they, you know, have the time to, to answer it right then and there. Mm-hmm. You know, you might not meet them unless you're at a professional event, whereas, you know, with with um, Overwatch players, they might still be living in, you know, in your neighborhood, kind of. You might see them at a local event somehow. Mm-hmm. Um so it's it's still accessible to to your average person, I guess. That's awesome. And well, you kind of mentioned uh, a few minutes ago about you know having work and family and stuff, and that keeping you away from gaming. And like I said, that certainly qualifies for me these days, as I have a. We just had our son last month, so yes, congrats uh, again. I know I've said it before. Yes, there's much less gaming these days. Um, but yeah, yeah. Just aware of the time, and we'll probably have to wrap this up soon. But I was wanted to ask you. You know, you're involved in D&D, Overwatch, and, you know, other other gaming and such. How can people get in touch with you online or watch your watch the shows that you do? How can people ask you questions or follow up? So the quickest way to get in touch with me, because I literally uh, live there, is Twitter. I am, <laughs> like, on all the time. Like, I wake up, I turn off my alarm, and then I immediately check Twitter, and I check it while I'm at work, and then I check it when I'm at home, and... You know, I, I'm very active on Twitter, so you can find me there. My username is at charm underscore underscore person because someone else stole the one with no underscore and the one with one underscore. So we got two so of those that's there. that's a little tricky. So two underscores. Yes, yeah. charm underscore underscore person. <laughs> it's very, uh, very much a mouthful to say out loud. Um, but you can also find me um, – you can find me on Twitch at twitch.tv slash Eloana, much simpler, E-H-L-O-A-N-N-A. And what's the origin um, of that name? So actually, I kind of stole that from D&D. Okay. Uh, when I was looking up different D&D deities when I was learning how to play the game, I uh, I found Elona, but I read her name wrong, and I was pronouncing it like Eloana. Okay. <laughs> uh, eventually, someone pointed it out to me that I was saying it completely wrong, and I was adding an A in there, so I was like, I'm just going to – I'm going to steal that. I'm going to run with it make it my own. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to steal that, and I'm going to make it mine because the one thing that's really important to me is, is you know, making a name that no one else has. So I Googled it, and I was like, no one's using this. It's giving me the autocorrect for Elona. So let's just steal it. We'll go with it. You know, when people Google Eloana, they're going to find my Twitch. They're going to find my Twitter. They're going to find me and not anyone else. So that was really important to me. So uh, I just kind of stuck with yeah, it, that and that's make, been my, my username for a lot of that things. That makes sense. It's like – my, like on Twitter and the show is the id DM and I was just happy that no one else had thought of that first. So I was like, all right, that's what I'm going to go with. Yeah. Yeah. It's the easiest way to do it. You know, make yourself recognizable. You know, when people see Eloana, they know me, um, you know, before I started dating my boyfriend, uh, it was actually really funny. I guess, um, you know, they kind of knew who I was. They, they recognized my username, but didn't know me. And they were like, I, I believe he said that they described me as, oh, that girl that likes D&D, <laughs> <laughs> you know, before we were dating and whatnot, and they didn't really know me very well. I was just that girl who likes D&D. So I thought that was kind of funny that, you know, people tend to know me for that. Excellent. Well, I appreciate you uh, spending so much time here today uh, talking about your different hobbies and interests. Uh, really enjoyed talking about D&D and kind of the gaming cultures and how they differ between D&D and certainly Overwatch, which is uh, kind of a new yeah, game I'm getting involved with. Yeah, two different with. beasts. <laughs> um, yeah, and wish you the best of luck going forward. Uh, thank you thank for your you. time. Well, thank you for having me on and thank you for talking to me. I know you got a, a little baby to tend to, so definitely good luck with that. Yes, he's sleeping at the moment. So Ooh, as very I, nice then. <laughs> as I sign off here, it's going to be interesting to see how much longer he continues to sleep. So <laughs> let's. Uh, well, hopefully he sleeps for a while and has a very peaceful night of rest. Thank you very much. All right, well, you take care. You too. Thanks so much for having me on. Sure.